Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of 7 in Focus. This is our live stream event where we talk about an innovative, long-term developing trend and what it might mean for investors. I'm 7 Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. I'm joined by our director of marketing, Samantha Bailey. Sam, how are things treating you in Houston this morning? They are treating me extremely well. I have my 7 Investing coffee mug with tea in it to, in honor of Max Chatsko this morning, so I'm ready to rock and roll. Well, also in honor of Max Chatsko, that's my colleague, our lead advisor here at 7 Investing. He is the man of the hour. He's going to be talking about how to invest in synthetic biology. Max, how are things treating you up in the Northeast this morning? Pretty good. A little colder than uh, down in Texas, I imagine. But, uh, you know, we're getting through. Fantastic, Max. Now, synthetic biology is a topic that you know quite a bit about, actually. Uh, you were previously the editor-in-chief of SynBioBeta. Uh, you have created your own do-it-yourself bio lab in your home in the past. You have a degree in bioprocess engineering from SUNY ESF and also a master's of science and engineering from Carnegie Mellon. This is a topic that's dear, near and dear to your heart, right, Max? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was in synthetic biology before it was cool. Ten years ago, we were still in the formative years. Everybody was talking about how do we even define synthetic biology? That, that was the debate at the time. Now there's multiple publicly traded companies. So we've come a long way, but it's still pretty early. Now you also ha or, uh, Max, you also have a foundational patent to your name. I know that uh, you like to dabble in a lot of the kind of cutting edge things that are out there. It's going to be exciting chatting about what this will mean for investors. Uh, before we, we wind you up and let you go here, Max, and, and go into your presentation, I do want to chat a little bit about our 7 in Focus live stream program here. This is something you might be uh, new to. This might be the first time that you're on a live stream. We certainly appreciate you being here. These are open for anyone to attend at any time. All it takes is just registering for the event. Uh, if you did register, we're going to send a follow-up email with several of Max's key takeaways. Uh, but there's one more thing we always want to encourage, and that is we want to ask you for your business. We'd love you to sign up with 7investing today to not only see Max's official recommendations every month, but actually all seven of our top stock market opportunities each and every month. You can sign up with 7investing today at 7investing.com slash subscribe. And maybe one more thing, Sam, as before we get started here, we have a prize awaiting the best question that gets asked to Max here about synthetic biology today, right? We do. And I was a little late to sit down because I was washing my favorite mug, which is my seven investing coffee mug. Maybe I should buy a few more. Maybe I'll ask the best question because whoever asks the best question gets a free seven investing coffee mug. And you can do that down below with the Q&A or in the chat. Either way, ask a question to Max and we'll select which one we think is the best and we'll send a free coffee mug your way. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Sam. Max, I'm going to hand it over to you now to get started. Again, like Sam said, if you have questions, or just wanted to add comments, there's a sidebar right at the very bottom. Please feel free to chime in. We want this to be interactive. Uh, with that, Max, I'm handing it over to you. Let's get started on should you invest in synthetic biology? All right. Thanks a lot, Simon. Yeah, synthetic biology, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I'm looking to get much back uh, into it uh, here in 2022. I've kind of used our 7 Investing podcast to interview some of the, the visionary thinkers out there in the field. So first, we'll just look at a, a pretty basic overview, high-level overview. And you know we hear about synthetic biology all the time. And what the heck is this thing? It's trendy. It's buzzy. What does it mean? What is synthetic biology? Synthetic biology is the introduction of engineering principles to biology in order to get reproducible results. So if we can standardize biology into foundational parts, whether those are genes or parts of gene constructs, right? Then we can piece them together uh, into metabolic pathways. We can put those into microbes. We can... We know that if we have the same exact process 
uh, environment, right? Temperature, pressure, uh, the different inputs we put in, we can get the same exact uh, materials or chemicals out at the end, right? So we can have standardization of parts gets us a reproducible function, a reproducible outcome. Meaning if I, Max, have a DIY biolab here in Pittsburgh and I develop a protocol, uh, I should be able to hand that off to Simon to run in his lab in Houston and he should be able to get pretty much the same results as me. That's this a scary thought, by the way, Max. It's a very scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we revoked his license down there in Houston. Don't worry, guys. Uh, that was just hypothetical, of course. Uh, but if um, and this might not seem like a very big uh, deal, we don't really talk about reproducibility that much. But in 2016, a Nature review paper found that 60% of scientists couldn't reproduce their own results from their own lab, and 70% of scientists couldn't reproduce the results from peer-reviewed papers. So we kind of hear about that as like the gold standard, right? If you're not a scientist engineer. You know, peer-reviewed paper. It has to be peer-reviewed. That's uh, everything is peer-reviewed, and seventy percent of those results can't even be reproduced. Uh, so it's hopefully a little outdated by now, maybe five, six years ago. Uh, but still, reproducibility is still a bigger problem. We like to admit in biology. Now, I mentioned on the podcast we have some visionary thinkers. One of them was Drew Endy, Doctor Drew Endy, one of the founding fathers of synthetic biology, and he gave this framework on the podcast of the three enabling tools of what differentiates biotech versus synthetic biology. In biotechnology, we first have recombinant DNA. That's the ability to clone genes. Uh, an example of this would be, you know, breakthroughs here led to things like insulin, right? Which is a pretty important product uh, to come out of biotechnology. Second, we have polymerase chain reaction or PCR, which is amplifying genes. We've heard a lot about this during the coronavirus pandemic as PCR is a very important protocol process uh, to maybe understand certain uh, positive coronavirus tests or negative tests for that matter. And third, we have DNA sequencing, which is reading genes, uh, understanding what a genetic sequence is, uh, determining variants or mutations uh, in a genome to better understand um, what we're observing in terms of uh, um, you know, pathology and disease, for example. Synthetic biology also has three core enabling tools. The first is coordination of labor. So that's standardization that we've just talked about in the last slide. Again, if I have a protocol in my lab in Pittsburgh, I should be able to hand it off to Simon in Houston, and he should be able to run it, right? So um, coordination of labor, very important in terms of making this distributed and having specialization in certain tasks. Second, we have abstraction layers. So this is user interfaces, something that's more familiar to like apps and um, you know software, for example. So if I open up Microsoft Word and I slap on my keyboard and I write up an amazing recommendation report for my February 2022 recommendation, behind the scenes, there's all kinds of things going on programmatically that I don't need to know, right? But if I hit H, I want H to appear on the screen. So that's the abstraction layer, right? There's a lot of abstraction in between what's going on under the hood. We need those as well uh, in synthetic biology in order to uh, make it more accessible to more people. So if I'm designing a gene on my computer, I don't really need to know all the programmatic things that are going on. And, you know, uh, software might be understanding, is this even a gene you can make? Or is this on an FBI list of do not make this gene? Like, I don't need to know that but I need to be able to make it uh, easy for myself in order to uh, share my work. And third, we have DNA synthesis, which is writing genes. If sequencing is reading genes, synthesis is writing genes. Uh, we need to make highly accurate genes in order for genetic engineering experience, uh, experiments rather, or you know, for making a genetic test or a liquid biopsy, we do need a reference probe. We need to understand if the gene that I have floating around in my body uh, is actually the thing that we're looking for, saying that I might have a disease or a higher risk for some disease uh, so DNA synthesis is a very important tool for synthetic biology. 
I don't know if I said this at the top, but I often say that synthetic biology is not an industry. We see that sometimes it drives me kind of crazy. Uh, synthetic biology is a way of thinking, right? It's about applying engineering principles to biology. Uh, so synthetic biology will enter every industry and it's not an industry itself. Another thing that drives me crazy, I have a lot of pet peeves, if you can't tell, uh, biotech is often used synonymously and interchangeably with drug development or healthcare. And I hate that because that's not true at all. Uh, there's things like industrial biotech or agricultural biotech and synthetic biology is going to be the same thing. So don't use synthetic biology interchangeably with healthcare or drug development. It is so much broader than that. We're going to have synthetic biology applications in agriculture or biotech and making uh, materials or chemicals, various healthcare industries, whether that's drug development or liquid biopsies, uh, or even, you know, growing organs or growing organs in humanized pigs that we've genetically engineered, right? For organ transplants, environmental remediation, or even biotech forestry. Um, you know, the school that I went to for my undergrad, SUNY ESF, uh, they're working on bringing back the American chestnut tree by genetically engineering it to withstand a common blight that has made it functionally extinct in North America. There's also mining, energy, space applications, pretty much everything. We're talking about using DNA to store digital data, something. So it's encroaching on computing turf now. Um, and there's actually applications today of using biology and microbes in mining for, you know, low-grade leach pits to help facilitate those processes, improve margins there. Uh, so synthetic biology will enter every industry. Second, before we talk about a few different uh, stocks that are out there, my, my take on those, we'll talk about some of the challenges and opportunities. So the opportunities for synthetic biology, I apologize if this is a little too general or broad, but again, there's so many applications that this, and it's so early right now, this I think is a good way to think about it. Synthetic biology will first enter markets and you know it might enter as a niche application. A great example of this might be using DNA and digital data storage. So you know we can store a lot of information in DNA, quite obviously, um, but it's kind of harder to access. You also have to destroy part of the sample every time you want to read uh, that you know biological hard drives, if you know so to speak. Um, you don't have to do that with your you know silicon hard drive, right? So it's a little bit different form factors. It's going to be a niche application, right? Amazon's not replacing all their server farms with DNA banks or something anytime soon, uh, but it can still be very valuable in certain niche applications. As we get better with biology and synthesizing DNA, making it more accurate, making it cheaper, making it easier to read, then you know maybe we can start to disrupt some of that market. Maybe. Um, using DNA for digital data storage becomes uh, bigger than the niche. Uh, maybe it's you know a sizable part of the market. Maybe we can start to disrupt the market, right? So maybe those companies can build up a big customer list or a consortium of co of companies, and then those companies say, "Hey, this works pretty great. This niche. Can you help us with this other thing?" Uh, and then it starts to disrupt the market, right? Great example of this might be Tesla and EVs. I mean, it's still only like two percent of the market in terms of uh, market share, right? It's about the same as Mercedes Benz in the United States, but look at the market cap. It's you know worth more than all the other car companies combined, essentially. Um, and it's making all the incumbents and the status quo kind of shake in their boots. Uh, so we might see that as well in certain synthetic biology applications. And then we'll see it eventually eat markets, dominate. We'll question, why did we ever use anything other than biology to do this? I don't know, uh, but pass me the moon juice, right? I don't know, maybe it's 20 years away, who knows? But we'll see this play out time and time again uh, in various applications and in various industries. It might not be quite as... Uh, uh, impactful, or maybe not impactful is not the right word, but uh, you know, trillion dollar market caps like Tesla and EVs, but we'll see this a lot of times play out in multiple industries. 
Of course, we often focus on the opportunities for any investment and all the potential rewards that are ahead, but it's important to be objective. So we need to also talk about the challenges for synthetic biology. We hear a lot about genomics or proteomics or transcriptomics, but one of the most difficult omics for biology is economics, also known as economics. Costs are falling a lot precipitously, some might say, but still the status quo is often better. It's still better to use like petrochemicals, for example, and a lot of uh, chemical manufacturing processes uh, and materials as well is still just usually better uh, or cheaper or lower cost or whatever it is easier to scale uh, with what we're doing already. That's increasingly not true, and it will be much less true as time goes on. But nonetheless, synthetic biology is still limited to a lot of niche applications today. So it's important to uh, keep that in mind. Scale-up is another challenge, and this remains really the unsolved bottleneck. You know, so when we hear about like Ginkgo Bioworks or Zymergen or whoever it might be, you know, they've done a good job of moving bottlenecks further and further down in the R&D workflow. So, you know, when I started off, you know, in synthetic biology, uh, the bottlenecks were like, how do we even engineer this stuff reproducibly? And now we're kind of solving those problems, right? We can engineer thousands of strains at the same time in a very short amount of time, get the results, uh, maybe do that again and again and again in a lot of cycles to continuously iterate and improve upon those strains to get something that might actually be viable in commercial production. But that's kind of kicked the bottlenecks further downstream. So now there's data bottlenecks. How do we process all this data we're making? Um, and also manufacturing. There's really been no major progress at all since I've started in manufacturing uh, or scale-up hurdles that are going to um, maybe torpedo some of these businesses or really be a, a, a sticky challenge for a lot of these companies that are even publicly traded now. And of course, it's important to remember that scale-up matters on a product-by-product basis. So we might see some companies brag or talk about, well, you know, we've commercialized or scaled up, you know, X many products to date. We're amazing. We're kicking butt. The reality is, you know, it's a lot easier scale up a product that's in healthcare drug development, right? Because you're talking about maybe a thousand liter scale or so like that. Um, but as you move further and further into mass market products where you need, you know, many, many consumers or customers are going to be using those, you need to start making your product on, you know, 250,000 liter scale or 500,000 liter scale or 1 million liter scale. And volume might scale linearly. So like 10,000 liters and 100,000 liters is a 10x difference. But a lot of the other things that matter in that steel bioreactor do not scale linearly, such as heat transfer or the shearing force of your propeller blades. Uh, you might be busting open all the microbes as you're spinning all the stuff in your tank, and you're going to open it up to a really nasty surprise. So scale up is still a really big challenge for the field. And third, probably the most important, you can probably tell this already from everything else I've said so far, it's still very early. Investors aren't too late. You're not missing out. Please do not ignore fundamentals to get in early. I saw this a lot last year where there's a couple of IPOs, like Kinko Bioworks, for example, uh, shot up to a pretty large valuation relative to what the business is today and how proven it is. And I saw a number of people say, you know what? Synthetic biology is the future. We're going to do so many things. Um, I'm going to get in early. Who cares? And uh, please don't do that. Because uh, as you can see now, I mean, the valuation of Ginkgo has fallen by half. It might be able to fall another half from where it is today. Uh, so please do not ignore fundamentals. It's still very early. I will stop sharing my screen. Just to hammer that home, I mean, I think some of the most valuable synthetic biology companies that will exist in our lifetime probably haven't been founded yet. So, you know, very early. Keep that in mind. That's the question I wanted to ask, Max, is it, it seems like something we should double click on. It's just you and I have chatted with 
quite a few experts in this field, right? We, we chatted with uh, Andrew Hessel not too long ago, who's saying that biology is going to be the next IT industry. Uh, you mentioned Drew Indy. We, we know that Emily from Twist Biosciences, you just chatted with her on Twitter yesterday. Joel Stone has been a consultant in this industry for decades. We had him on our podcast. He's saying that synthetic biology has got just this enormous disruptive potential. But to your point, I mean, kind of the chemicals industry and the manufacturing industry and the refining industry is built around these massive factories and chemical plants and refineries. And I've worked in several, several of those as a chemical engineer myself. Um, how does, in this, in your opinion, how, how will this actually scale? Are we going to start seeing standardized biofactories that are growing in larger and larger reactors, like you mentioned? Or is this still going to be a much smaller kind of product by product um, opportunity? Maybe it's modular production, but it's smaller batch sizes. Uh, but at high margins, is this going to be something you're going to see a BASF of synthetic biology emerge, or is it going to be smaller, more focused opportunities? Yeah, that's a good question. We're still trying to figure that out, right? So the petrochemicals industry has like a 100-year head start on uh, industrial biotech for chemicals manufacturing. So they have the scale, they have the economics, um, they have the know-how. We don't have that yet right now when it comes to bioprocesses. We're getting there. I mean, there's a lot of things we can make or that are in the market now. You just don't realize it. And in fact, uh, if you look at the contribution to American GDP, industrial biotech actually contributes more in terms of the dollar amount than does healthcare applications of biopharma. Uh, many people don't know about that, right? So I think there's actually more industrial biotech companies uh, in the world than there are um, you know, drug developers that are using biopharma. So that's kind of interesting. In terms of how this might go, I mean, we're still figuring that out and it depends on the product. So some things might make sense to make with a batch process. Some we might transition to continuous processes. Um, it depends on a lot of factors, you know, what you're making, um, the conditions of the reactor. Uh, is there oxygen? Is there not oxygen? This, that, and the other thing. What is your like, carbon input? Um, and also the industrial host they're using. Sometimes you're using, um, you know, baker's yeast. Uh, sometimes you're using other things that aren't baker's yeast. So um, we're still really figuring all of that out. Well, fantastic. I do have another question too, but I'm going to hold it. I'm also going to hold my good friend Dominic's question in the Q&A because both of these are related to investment opportunities. But I'd like to, before we jump the gun, let you chat a little bit about your, your second section of the presentation here, which is how should we approach this field as an investor? Yeah. All right. So I didn't want to call this a watch list, but uh, I want to go through five publicly traded synthetic biology stocks. I saw a question in the Q&A. We'll get to that as well. Um, so first, synthetic biology stocks to avoid or maybe just watch from the sidelines for now. Uh, all the companies that are doing these high throughput genetic engineering experiments, um, Amaris, Ginkgo Bioworks, and Zymergen. And I've just kind of ranked them on three high level metrics here. Um, so, you know, if we start with Amaris, healthy operations, not really. It's been losing more money as it scales. Um, very unsustainable cost structure, constantly diluting shareholders, raising more money. I think in the long run, you know, five, 10 years, the stock price is down like almost 99%. Hard to do much worse than Amaris. Um, solid management. I think this has probably one of the worst management teams, maybe of a publicly traded company. They do have really great executives there. Um, but, you know, as we saw on the third quarter 2021 uh, earnings fiasco. They, they up until the you know release, they were saying, oh, we're going to meet guidance. And then they weren't even close. And this is time and time again, the company just over promises, under delivers. 
It's been doing this for many years now. It's kind of amazing to me that the board hasn't even stepped in to maybe replace the CEO or find somebody else just to instill more trust and faith in what the business is doing. Valuation, I didn't want to rank it. Um, the valuations come down quite a bit, but if there's so many red flags in the company, I mean, it's kind of hard to say if it's a attractive valuation or not. So I didn't want to mislead investors there. Kingo Bioworks, healthy operations. I kind of gave it a neutral check mark. Uh, there was a short report last year, of course, and a lot of the things in that were true. I mean, those are some of the same red flags that um, bogged down in Trexon years ago and led to an SEC investigation, also led to it eventually leaving the public markets as a company. Um, so Ginkgo Bioworks is actually being investigated by the Justice Department. Not a good thing to have. Uh, so, you know, keep in mind, as innovative it is and as um, you know, new and interesting as the business model is and as well as they might sell it to investors, still unproven, still might not work. Still a lot of reasons that can go off the rails. I do think they'll have to fine tune this or tweak it over the years, uh, but they do have a lot of cash uh, as was mentioned in the Q&A as well. Uh, so I think they'll probably make some acquisitions, grow out their infrastructure and so forth. They can certainly keep the lights on for a pretty long time. Solid management. I mean, mostly inexperienced. Uh, I happen to know the management here, so I want to choose my words carefully, but you know, they've surrounded themselves very well with uh, people who know what they're doing, how to build industries and companies and things. Um, so neutral checkmark, we'll see how they do as a public managed company. Um, can they execute and keep delivering? They made some pretty big promises to investors for the coming years. So uh, we'll have to see if they can actually live up to that. And the valuation, I think, is not very attractive at all. Um, yeah, it's innovative. Yeah, they're an important part of the industry in terms of foundries. Um, but, you know, uh, $9, 10000000000 billion valuation is pretty excessive for what the business is. The underlying foundry revenue is maybe going to be $100 million in 2021. A lot of that is not recurring. Uh, so it's hard to kind of you know gauge how well that's going to grow. We've seen a lot of non-recurring business models in this space fall apart pretty quickly. Uh, so do keep that in mind. I think the valuation here could be much, much, much lower, uh, maybe by 50% or more. And I know that sounds crazy, but um, we'll see how it goes the rest of the year. Zymogen's interesting because it's it went public and it had these high hopes. It was one of the um, you know most uh, uh, successful in terms of a private company, um, you know, in terms of money raised, had a giant round from SoftBank, for example. Uh, and then it kind of laid an egg as a public company, um, couldn't scale up one of its lead products. Um, a lot of the executives left, the CEO left. So healthy operations, no. And this is one of the reasons the stock fell so hard. Uh, unsustainable cost structure right there. Solid management, I gave it an NA because it doesn't really have a permanent management team in place. The saving grace here for Zymogen is that the chairman of the board stepped in to be the interim CEO. That is none other than Jay Flatley, the visionary leader of Illumina for so long. Uh, he's a pretty good guy to have at the helm if you're trying to uh, survive and make a transition. They made an interesting announcement at JP Morgan Healthcare Conference just days ago, uh, unveiling that they're going to uh, eventually launch an automation business. Uh, so this might allow customers to, um, it's basically a SaaS product. And it might allow customers to coordinate their own infrastructure and their own labs um, to better collect data and process data and just be more efficient uh, at engineering biology. Not many details to go on right now, but interesting to watch. I mean, that could be potentially a thorn in the side of Ginkgo Bioworks, right? Why pay Ginkgo Bioworks royalties uh, or license fees um, in perpetuity if maybe I have a big enough lab or enough resources to corral it using some product from Zymogen, that's software. Um, so maybe we'll see some more segmentation in the market. Uh, interesting thing to watch in the next you know, 24 months or so. Valuation, again, it's in transition right now, so it's hard to really gauge. I don't want to mislead anybody. Um, but Zymogen could maybe emerge as one of the more attractive investments 
across all of these things if uh, it puts the pieces together the right way. Some stocks that are more attractive are Codexis and Twist Bioscience. Codexis is a company that engineers uh, enzymes and it uses those in different manufacturing processes. So it kind of cut its teeth and proved itself in drug manufacturing, right? Um, so um, helping like companies like Merck, for example, uh, manufacture their own drug products with enzymes. So you can reduce the process steps, cut out toxic waste, uh, actually saved Merck, I believe, from having to build a whole nother facility, saving them hundreds of millions of dollars in investment, um, maybe tens of millions of dollars in investment, because uh, they could increase the yield of their existing manufacturing facility. So a very valuable partner uh, for a lot of different companies. And now they're expanding outside of drug development. So pretty great. Healthy operations. I mean, they're growing revenue, um, always been um, one of the healthier companies in terms of operating margins, still negative, but pretty close to break even, actually pretty impressive. The thing that I knock them on and why it's a neutral check mark is, um, you know, they have some choppy revenue. They have a choppy business model. When you're selling enzymes in bulk to Merck, for example, you might make one sale in, you know, 18 months or something. Uh, so it leads to these really weird choppy quarter to quarter, year over year comparisons. Uh, hard to really gauge where the business is going um, if you're an investor. I think they're solving that. They just need to scale a lot more, get more pipe projects in the pipeline, get more customers. I think they're doing a good job there. Um, so definitely a company to watch. Solid management team. Yes. They had John Nichols come in maybe a decade or so ago from Albert Marley. I uh, turned the company around, helped them during their transition years ago. They were transitioning away from a big focus in biofuels um, and has led the company to where they are today. Valuation, it's kind of attractive. It may, I'm a little neutral on it. I think it could maybe fall a little bit more. It's hard to gauge right now, right? If you're a long-term investor, I think, um, yes, this could be a, a an attractive valuation. But uh, in the volatility right now, I could definitely see this one maybe coming down, uh, giving up some of its valuation gains from 2021. Twist Bioscience, you'll see much healthier uh, for all these metrics. Healthy operations, yes, it's scaling and it's getting benefits from that scale. Gross margins increasing, allowing it to invest more of its own money into scaling for growth. Solid management team gave it two thumbs up here. Uh, Emily's great and the management team around her is amazing as well. Uh, this is really one of the best managed teams uh, in anything to do with biology and really in my top three personally of management teams in synthetic biology. And the other two companies are privately held. Uh, for that matter. So uh, among the publicly traded companies, can't do better than Twist Bioscience when it comes to management. Valuation, I actually think this is starting to look very attractive. This company deserved to be revalued lower. Uh, it was very excessive in 2021, but at like a $3 billion market cap, I mean, that's pretty attractive given the growth rates, uh, the importance of Twist Bioscience and its platform in multiple industries. Uh, so around a $3 billion market cap, yeah, that starts to look pretty attractive to me. Oh, I was trying to stop sharing. There we go. Fantastic, Max. Great presentation. Sam, do we have any questions that we want to ask, Max? We do. We got a great question from Dominic Rinaldi. Thank you, Dominic. And he asked, with synthetic biology companies, what things should we pay most attention to? The pipeline they have, partnerships, leadership buying more shares. Seems like lots, lots of optionality that is hard to value in this arena. Yeah, so again, um, there's no one size fits all like framework, right? Um, Ginkgo Bioworks is a lot different than Twist Bioscience. And that's a lot different than Codexis, right? They all have very different business models and services and products that they're offering. Um, you know, so with that first slate of companies, right? The Amorous, um, well, let's just say, I think the probably the closest thing to the optimal business model, which no one's really nailing right now, uh, would be to start off in a niche area 
So like Amherst is close, but other than that, they're pretty far away. So um, start with like cosmetics, right? You can grow a profitable cosmetic brand or brands or portfolio of brands. Um, you can generate profits and cash flow from that, reinvest that into those bigger picture ideas, right? Amherst is like kind of close. They never put it all together. Um, and then, you know, Zymogen was working on a consumer product. It was like a bug spray that could also be used as a sunscreen. And then they pushed that back, delayed it, delayed it. And they went to work in films, uh, like for foldable displays for phones. Right. Um, cause they saw the big mass market there, like the size of the market and, you know, a bug spray or whatever is probably not going to get you as much in revenue, but it's important source revenue because it's profitable. Um, so companies are chasing these big pools of money instead of focusing on margins. Right. And it's not sexy. Right. I, I'm a synthetic biology company. I'm going to change the world. What's your first product, Max? Cosmetics. Right. Nobody wants to go and, and pitch that deck, but that's probably what companies should have been doing all along. Uh, so uh, right now, there's not a whole lot of great business models out there. So stick to the ones that are more like the picks and shovels plays. Right. Codexis, Twist Bioscience, easier to value them, easier to see if they're making progress. Uh, some of these other ones promising a lot. Maybe they don't deliver. So keep that in mind. I want to go back to the IT analogy, if you don't mind, Sam. And then we got another question that you wanted to chime in with too. But just it seemed like from the companies that you presented there, you know, you mentioned Ginkgo Bioworks, of course, Tom Knight from MIT. He's a computer scientist, right? He's the guy that's bringing computation to this field. You mentioned Cadexis, which is building custom enzymes. Of course, Twist Biosciences doing enzymatic DNA. I learned a lot about that from our podcast with you earlier this week. But it seems like custom or customized is, is the way to approach this, right? It seems like the IT industry, right? I want a chip that is going to help me mine Bitcoin or Amazon wants a chip that it's going to put into Alexa for a custom application. Are, are you seeing the software piece of this or the customized piece of this as uh, the opportunities that you gave those check marks and the pluses in the companies for? Is that is that the, the key to this industry is doing something customized? Uh, right now, maybe as the industry, or industry, the field is trying to find its footing, um, yeah, because look, at a high level, you're trying to, you know, the, the value of synthetic biology is that you need to use it in a way, like what can biology do that nothing else can do? And biology is driven by enzymes. So that's a good place to start, right? Whether you're talking about uh, helping a manufacturing process or what Kingo Bioworks is doing, right? There are engineering metabolic pathways, but in each step of that is an enzyme, right? Within the organism. Uh, so I talked to um, Dan at, at Bolt Threads on the podcast as well, right? And he was talking about the materials that they can make, right? So they make... Uh, like they're calling it like uh, un unleathering things, right? Um, so well, that's not the right term, but he was saying like, look, customers approach us and they just want to make another yoga mat or a handbag or whatever. And that's great. We can do that. But we can make so many other materials. There's just in applications that people can't even think of because they're so stuck in like the way that it's always been done. So it's going to be tough for biology to get out of that. But we're we're close. We'll probably see some of that this decade, right? So for now, you're seeing the companies move into industries that already exist. Twist Bioscience sells reference probes to genetic tests and liquid biopsies. That's smart. That's where the money is right now. That's going to help them scale. But, you know, they're also working on like digital data storage and DNA. No one's doing that. That's crazy, right? So in order to move into those areas that what can biology do and nothing else can do, you have to have success somewhere else. Again, that was why in industrial biotech, I think it's smart to focus on consumer products first to get your footing and, and get a real business going. And then you can move into those crazy ideas where you know you're remediating soils that nobody else can do or something like that right um so start off where it makes sense existing industries but eventually pull everybody kicking and screaming into the future 
Thanks, Max. Listening to you in this space, in any space really, is incredibly impressive. And I love when you're on the show. But we have one last question, and then we can wrap this up. And Dominic also asked, since we are so early in the game, it seems like a basket approach is the best method to invest because you would only need one winner if you held for a very long time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, here at Simon Investing, we like to pick individual <laughs> stocks. We don't like the basket approach. Um, I kind of don't like that, right? So like, I'll give CRISPR gene editing as an example. I mean, if you just say CRISPR is the future or whatever, and it's going to be a therapeutic modality that will succeed, I'm just going to buy all the CRISPR gene editing companies. A lot of those are probably going to fail. So that's probably not the best approach. Um, you know, I, I, It's hard to give general advice here, but what I do, I, I take a bottom-up approach. So I try to understand all the companies at a, a very deep level. And then I say, okay, which one has the most advantages in the competitive landscape? Which one's making the smartest investments or targeting the right diseases uh, where they might have more success, right? Owning more of the economic opportunities of the drugs in their pipeline. Uh, and then I'll choose one or two of the best ones. I don't own any CRISPR stocks, but that's what I would do right? rather than a basket approach. Uh, so again, I think because like this, this question though gets to the underlying truth is that it's so early, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no obvious company to choose. And so people are like, oh, we'll just pick them all. Well, you know, that might not work out. We've come a very long way from the early days, uh, early days, 10 years ago. But, you know, there's still a long way to go. But I think over the rest the, in the next few years and the rest of this decade, we'll see certain companies start to uh, separate out uh, from the pack. And there'll be like obvious choices, right? I think Twist Bioscience will probably be one of those. Um, as for the rest of them, uh, still up for, up for debate. That's a great final point, Max. I mean, like this is kind of the point where you can start scaling up those operations. This is not just an R&D project anymore. If you're going to go public, you're going to be a publicly traded company. What are you going to put that money to work for? And how can you provide a 10x return for your investors? As you're starting to see these projects coming to life, you've seen commercial opportunities. This is economically affordable. The economics, as you said, uh, really an exciting time for synthetic biology. Any last words, any final thoughts on this, Max, as we kind of close this up? I'm very bullish on synthetic biology. I just want to point that out, right? Like it will change the world. It is amazing. I just think you have to be objective as an investor, right? Um, you, you know, your points to grow your money, right? So uh, you need to be protective of that, your hard-earned money. Uh, so just be careful there and be objective. Um, and again, it's so early. Um, no need to rush in here, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's going to change the world. Just uh, be smart about it, you know? Fantastic. Thanks again, Max. Really great presentation. Very insightful. Uh, Sam, I think it's safe to say Dominic wins the, the best question, right? Best questions. Do we send multiple mugs to him for that one? <laughs> um, congratulations, Dominic. It was a hard fought battle, but you are the winner. So I will be reaching out this afternoon and we will send you one of these fancy coffee mugs on the house. Thank you for your questions. And thanks everybody for attending. We, this was really insightful. Really great to hear from Max. Every time he talks about this topic, he's very passionate about. This was Should You Invest in Synthetic Biology, our seven in focus for today. Stay tuned. We've got some more exciting seven in focus presentations coming up this month. And Irban Mahanti is going to be talking about edge computing. Steve Simonton is going to be talking about the internet of things. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week with even more seven in focus live streams. Until then, we are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are seven investors. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. 
Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.